0: Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. Covering topics suggested by you, the listener, we dive into what's important, getting you what you need to succeed. Here's what's coming up.
1: Nobody gets an interview until they've done my StrengthsFinder uh, test. Whatever test you people out there in TV land want to run, uh, you got to have a standardized test to see if this person's going to fit with your employee culture. That's a whole other webinar podcast for another time.
2: And honestly, I think that most techs that come in like that, in my experience anyway, that's kind of what they're expecting too, to come in and just say, okay, here's where the oil is, here's where the parts come in, here's your two bays, we're going to give you a ticket, have at it, you know?
0: If you do it right, your entire staff should know your culture, they should know your values. And then, and then having them do the interviews would give them ownership of that.
3: And, and maybe that's part of the, you know, what is doing it right?
0: We need your help. By submitting questions or topics to institute at we can continue to cover things that are relevant to you. But for now, we've collected a panel of experts to get you serious results. So what are we waiting for? Let's get into it.
3: Welcome to The Leading Edge. We're gonna be talking about welcoming people to your team or onboarding as we would like to say. With us today, we have uh, uh, Bill Greeno. Uh, Bill has quality automotive service what is it servicing sort of <laughs> servicing okay uh just changed his name so uh we didn't we wanted to not screw that up and almost got there almost made it to the end uh, oh. uh alan, alan Symes, um, Sims Um uh, sims i always screw that up and i've known you i know 10 <laughs> years now or whatever alan sims and alan is at um what's the name of your company alan Revolution Automotive Services. There we, there we go. It slipped my mind for a second. <laughs> That's okay. I, I can. I, I got that. I hope
0: he remembers my business name.
3: That would be. A, <laughs> uh, let's see if have, he gets uh, your name right. <laughs> we have, uh, Kent, uh, last name Bullard. What position do you have here? You're chief of something, right? Uh, Vice president of operations. Of well, Operations. He's my operations guy that makes things happen. Uh, so I don't have to. And today we're talking about onboarding. And I think, Kent, you're a good uh, uh, person to have in this. Tell us a little bit about your setup um, for hiring and then for onboarding. W- what are your thoughts about that? How do you do that?
0: Well, so first off, one, when when we're looking for a position to hire, we, we've we got it all outlined. We know exactly what their position does. We've got it spelled out, all the basic operations that they'd be doing, uh, as well as how we would train them before we even list and try to hire somebody. When we do post an ad, generally, I, I only take, I probably cut off 60% of the people that apply following my nine-tenths rule. If they don't fit, you know, nine out of 10, then I won't move them onto the next <coughs> tier. And the next tier would be I give them a phone call and I, I kind of see who they are, what they, what they know about us. Um, because if they're somebody who's worth it, they probably have done their research on the company that they're going to try and work for. Um, have a nice brief conversation with them. And if I feel that they've uh, passed certain requirements, then I bring them in for a, a, an in-person interview. Then I conduct an interview. We do a couple tests with them. And again, nine-tenths, if they pass that round, then generally we have a team interview. Uh, where we get them to talk amongst some of the team members, maybe the one, maybe some of the people that they're going to be working with. Uh, I know with Lex we had like Kurt involved and uh, Michael and stuff like that. So it, it's, and then at that point we we out of I don't know, say 150 <coughs> applicants, we we end up with maybe three that we pick from and we hire the position.
3: Now onboarding so, from. Let me let me yeah, interrupt go ahead you and and ask you, why is it important to have a that job description in the beginning as far you, as onboarding.
0: Well, ambiguity right there. You, you want to make sure it's very clear as to what they're signing up for and what you're hiring them for. Yeah. Uh, so that they know, and that, you know, you, you also would have them sign that and say, yes, this is, you know, I acknowledge that this is the position I'm, I'm going to be paid to do. Uh, so you can kind of.
3: Does, does that, um, document become a, a part of their training as they come on a part of their onboarding? It definitely
0: should. That's okay. something that they should, you know, if they're looking at that and they go, okay, the, these are the duties that I'm supposed to perform. and Here's the standards with which they're supposed to be performed. Um, this is when they're supposed to be done. And this is how we do that. Then you can kind of give them that overview and they go, okay, yeah, this is something I think I can do. They sign on it. You hire them. And uh, during your onboarding, you'd go through and you'd check, everything off with them. You you train piece by piece with them.
3: Um, okay. Um, Alan, do you um, in your hiring process, do you have a job description? Do you have, uh, you know, this is what we're going to expect of you when you come on board with us? Yes. Yeah, so I generally, um, I generally present
2: the job description at the second interview. I kind of feel the first interview is more about um, the company and telling them what we're about. And then And then, um, you know, learning about them and who they are and just getting a feel for that person. And um, at the second interview, I give them the job description, lay out how pay works here and what's expected of people here, what's the future here, all of that stuff. And as long as the uh, person still has, the candidate has the, you know, is buying in, drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, and and enjoying that. Then the third interview I do is with the team um, and the team kind of. That they're going to work with, but but yeah, definitely job descriptions a part of it. Job descriptions also a part of um, like the first like I mean, it's always a part of the job because um, it's kind of what I point back to when they're not doing something that they're supposed to do that's on the job description, and I say, hey, uh, this isn't uh, what we talked about. Can we do this? You know, it's 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 good use. For, it's used for accountability later if needed.
3: The, the, one of the reasons I'm I'm starting kind of before hiring the employee is because that job description is, if if nothing else, it can be a an outline of what they need to be trained on because mm-hmm. this is what they're going to be doing uh, in my company. So I can use that as a as a basic outline for onboarding uh, that person. Uh, Bill, in 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 your interview <coughs> process, do you have? A comprehensive job description? Do you have a list of things that the employee is going to need to be able to do for your company? How do do you do that?
1: I don't. uh, I don't have exactly uh, a job description. And I've avoided job descriptions over the years for a couple of reasons. In California, a a job description um, constitutes a contract. And when you have a contract, then you, you void the uh, at-will employment uh, agreement that they also have to sign in California um, to make them an at-will employee. And that's the only way you can uh, dismiss someone without paying out large sums of money potentially. So, so, if you- so what I've done in, instead is um, my rather than have job descriptions – I have results and outcomes that, that the employee is going to be responsible for. And I've found that for a variety of reasons, it, it works better for me anyway. So uh, a, good, a good example of this would be someone whose job it is to clean the windshields of cars. And they, they clean all the windshields of every car that comes through your shop. This isn't a, a personal example. It's just a general um, kind of uh, idea of, of how this could work. They, they clean every windshield. Customer comes in and says, hey, my windshield's dirty. You go to the guy and you go, hey, it's your job to clean the windshields. He goes, boss, I cleaned every windshield. What are you talking about? You go out there and you can see that he smeared the dirt all over the windshield. He, he, he took out the stuff, he sprayed it, he wiped it. And, and so the result that you're really looking for is to provide the customer with clear vision right we need to have we need to have transparent windows we need to have windows that are dirt free <coughs> at the end of the at the end of the process it's not his job to clean the windshield it's his job to give the customer a a a, a windshield that he can see through without any obstruction
3: okay uh, alan is uh, sitting at the airport waiting for a plane so if we see a little movement in his background that's what's... Photo
1: bombers <laughs> uh, we appreciate Alan. <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah, yeah, I'm at the airport. airport. <laughs> <so>.
3: um, yeah, <laughs> I've done a couple of these from the airport, I understand. <clears throat> I
2: tried to find a corner, energy. but this corner was quiet 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah.
3: Um, all right. So um you, instead of having a, a job description, you have, uh, for this position, these are the outcomes that I want to see or the results I want to get from that position. I think that also maybe would help you in that it lends to... Uh, goals and targets for that position, also. So um, that that um, I never thought about that. Even when I had my shops in California, we had um, uh, position contracts. Uh, this is what we're we're contracting you for. Uh, they were for a year, and then they were renewed every year. Uh, and that's kind of how I've done it over the years. Um, do you have a? Um, uh, so uh, we'll stay with Bill for a second. Do you, Bill, do you have an, uh, um, an ongoing training list for the position? So if someone comes to work for you uh, day one, this is what we're going to teach them day two, day three, day four, or, um, or do you do it a different way than that?
1: Definitely. So when, when someone comes to work for us, say a technician, they don't touch a tool for a week. They don't get to touch a car for a week. They don't do anything. There's no expectation of productivity whatsoever. Um, and that is, for that first week, they're just a shadow. They're watching the way that each technician does their different things, You know where they dispose of the oil, how they go to the dispatch rack, where the keys go, how the car is treated, how the car is inspected. And there's there's no formalized training that first week. It's literally just whatever they absorb, whatever questions they ask, whatever it is shared by the, the technician. Um, there's, there's so much going on in all of our shops. There's so many moving parts. And it's the biggest mistake that I see, especially with a master technician. Master technician comes in, he's got these big shoulders, he's got all kinds of ability to, to bear responsibility. And so we go, wow, this guy's amazing. I'm just going to start making money off him right now. And you, and they throw him right into the shop. He's got his toolbox already moved in and away he goes. I don't want to see a toolbox there for a week. Um, I just want him absorbing after that. Then they start going through checking off the, the boxes of have I, do I understand this? Okay. If you understand it, tell me how do I understand this? If you understand it, tell me how check it off, see what they learned the first week, and then any training that is required additionally happens during the second week. They also are limited to like one or two cars a day during the second week before they take off into the third week, which is where we let them fly.
0: What if we told you that you could get quality training and education conveniently and without emptying your pockets? Our GEAR platform presents great education and resources for automotive shops, courses led by experts inside and outside our industry, a community of like-minded people to engage with, and a resource library at your fingertips. With a monthly membership, you can gain access to every course we have in the library as well as the multiple courses we add each and every month. With the ability to watch wherever and whenever you'd like, GEAR provides the training you've been looking for at only $129 a month. For help with improving your business, head to iFrame.com and click on the courses we teach to sign up for a better business and a better life today.
3: I, I, I go back to my early years in the automotive industry, knowing zero about cars and having my father and his partner train me, and my definition of training kind of came out of that. Um, you know the first time I did a brake job dad uh took me over to the car and uh you know he pulled off one wheel showed me how to use the tools correctly you know pull the caliper off you do this with the brake pads to release the pressure you do this you do this did the whole job and had me watch I didn't I didn't do anything I just stood there and watched him do it
1: and as he explained kind okay of
3: Not just each step, but each step, even what he was thinking about. So this is why I do it this way. And this is why I do this and etc. And then he took me around to the other side and said, Okay, now, you know, what's the first thing you do? And why do you do it? Right. And so he walked me through. Well, you take the lug nuts off, and this is how you take the lug nuts off, and this is why you do it this way, and this is where you put the lug nuts so that you don't lose them, so they're always in this particular place. And, you know, it's kind of a, a, an A, B, C, D, or step, step, step process to, to do brake jobs. And, you know, luckily, you know, knock on wood, I've never, um, I've never left lug nuts loose because Dad taught me from the very beginning that you always double-check that, Every bolt you took off, you double check, you double torque it, you make sure you did it right. So I think that, you know, onboarding employees, uh, I don't think it happens in the automotive industry that much. Frankly, I think we bring that master tech with the big shoulders in and we say, there you go. Uh, there's your bay. Here's some cars. Do good work uh, and do lots of it. And and that's all there is. And honest, go ahead. Sorry. And honestly, I think that most techs that come in like that,
2: in my experience anyway, that's kind of what they're expecting, too, to come in and just say, okay, here's where the oil is, here's where the parts come in, you know, here's your two bays. We're going to give you a ticket, have at it, you know? And because um, most most shops don't run it efficiently and they don't have a process for it. Um, I know that when I brought in techs early on, I had that issue where, you know, I didn't know how to train them at the time. And now with my most recent technician hire, we, we had an onboard process. Um, although I say it wasn't as long as Bill's, uh, but for three days, he didn't touch a car, he just shadowed someone. And um, and I like the idea Bill had there of the checklist. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna implement that, I like that a lot, um, to kind of follow up because until now it's just been sort of a verbal thing. And, um, but once I felt comfortable, because I'm still the manager in the shop, once I felt comfortable, with their ability to do things within the realm of how we do it. Um, then they get released to, to have cars on their own. And we have the uh, guy, the last guy was shocked by that, but he enjoyed it. He thought it was good and it was helpful.
3: I think that one of the problems with uh, productive technicians is the paperwork and the flow and not having good communication between the service <clears throat> and the technician. And, you know, so I want to train at least well, I want to train on everything from beginning to end. Um, We mentored in the shop. I think the master techs, uh, it was at least 30 days before they were signed off. Uh, So everyone that came into the business had a mentor assigned to them. They were mentored. Whether you were a master tech or a beginning tech, uh, either way, you got mentored. Here's where the coolant machine is. Here's how you use this coolant machine. Here's Um, I don't know how many times I've been in a shop and and talking to a tech and you kind of ask them what Ohm's Law is and they have no clue. (laughs) Uh, They they just don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they kind of understand it remotely somewhere in their brain, but they don't know what that is. And this is a guy that I'm having do complex electrical diagnostic. Um, I think I want to know what he knows and I want to make sure he knows what I need him to know. Um, uh, uh, Kent. Um as we're training these people, uh, our business is a little different being a coaching and consulting company. Um, but as we're training these people, uh, do we have the sign-off sheet that says this is what I need them to know that we walk them through? or Or is it different for each position?
0: Well, so, yeah, it should be different for each position, especially for us because we've got, you know, we've got a web developer, we've got a marketing coordinator, we've got a uh, media production. And so those are very different jobs. Um, as we've expanded, what we've kind of done is is give a rough outline and worked with our team because when we hired somebody, they they became the department that we didn't have previously. Uh, whereas uh, some of the other positions that we didn't have, we already had those outlined and that's how that happened is we checked off, made sure that they were able to do what they needed to do. Um, but for somebody like uh, like Lex, who we just hired, that was an entirely new position. Um, and so when I did hire her, I kind of worked with her on a, a plan of, okay, this is where we'd like to be. Um, this is where we can work together and put these pieces in place and, and let's check up and follow through with these. And that was kind of for training, was uh, an agreed upon uh, growth in that area.
3: When Yeah. Okay. Um, in, the, in the automotive industry, um, it is difficult, at, 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 and that's putting it mildly, to find a good technician today and to get a, new, a good technician in your company. Um, research shows that new employees have a 50% increase in productivity and retention when employee onboarding is done uh, correctly. Uh, it includes not only highlighting their first day and daily tasks that they have to do, but also how they fit into the bigger picture. Um, how do you make sure, uh, we'll start with Bill and then I'll go to Alan that, that, that guy coming in, uh, understands the bigger picture and how they fit within your company. Uh, how, how do you do that?
1: Well, I think that that happens during the interview process. I should say that has to begin during the interview process and, and that needs to. Um, that needs to be relayed to them, I believe, by every person that interviews them. So I've kind of got to move backwards here. Uh, I think that, that the, the group interview, there needs to be a group interview. There needs to be a manager interview. There needs to be an owner interview. Uh, I've recently uh, decided to change the order in which I do these. It used to be me, then the manager, then the staff. And then the fourth would be a job offer interview back to me. Right. I think I'm going to reverse that. Um, and I'm going to start with staff then go manager, then go me and cut out the fourth. Um, and the, I and the probably, reason I would is, probably argue,
3: I would probably argue that point, but we had in our interview process, the phone <coughs> interview was the first interview. So it wasn't even me. It was, are you really basically qualified to do this job? Um, And so anybody on the phone could say, do you have a driver's license or, you know, what's the value of your tools or something that would help me understand, should I bring this person in for uh, an interview or not? Um, I don't really, as a manager or owner, I don't want them getting to the staff until I know that there's someone that would fit in my culture. So I'm going to argue the point and tell you, I think you're making a mistake because the first interview should be the culture of the company and i i mean while staff could probably do that i don't think they do, they would do it as well as as you would do it and and create the vision as the leader of the company i don't i don't know that my staff while they many of them are visionaries uh, uh, completely you know have that same vision that i have uh, so i see you shaking you know rubbing your hands ready to go um, uh, uh, let's uh let's go for it go you're up. Okay.
1: so the uh so so i should back up again Nobody gets an interview until they've done my StrengthsFinder uh, test. So I'm gonna I'm gonna run a, a, a whatever test you people out there in TV land uh, want to run. Uh, you got to have a standardized test to see if this person's gonna fit with your employee culture. That's a whole another webinar podcast for another time. Um, if they fit the mold that I want, the reason I want to send them through my staff first is because. My staff has gotten rusty at interviewing people because people haven't made it to them. Uh So, so I want them to be sharp. I want them to be on it. I want them to get used to having the opportunity to interview people before me. And that's really going to let them know the real culture of the, of our company, whether my staff is polished or not, they're going to get that, that feel for them. And, and the reason and and the reason we have to have I'm gonna a little a little segue story here. When I was in my early 20s, I hired for a ski area. I hired 150 people or so a year. I interviewed, I recruited, and I interviewed way more people than that, all over the state. And the way that that I decided to systemize my approach was to have a one through ten checklist. And I had these interviews that lasted 15 minutes. So I'd go through a, a ten-step checklist, check, 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 check. And when I built the checklist, I thought I was really smart, and that the of course anybody who was a ten was an automatic hire. A nine, great. Eight, sure. Seven, eh, right. We're now we're falling down lower. What I learned from this was that the sevens and the eights were my best employees ever. And the and the point of this story is is that just have a consistent onboarding method because it, it may not be perfect in it in itself the perfection will come from the experience that you get doing it the same way every time and who succeeded and who failed in my company it will show you where the 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 the, the how to understand your onboarding process better you may not change it i never changed mine because it also my 9s and 10s were now a filter I knew that they were too good to be true. They were, they were BS in me, smoke and mirrors. Mm. My sevens and eights were just right. Sevens were usually the most humble.
0: You were, you were able to determine that just because you had the consistent process. Yeah.
3: I think one of the, one of the issues in the, in the automotive uh, industry is I'm not interviewing regularly. So I I don't get that practice because I, I've got three texts. They're all great. and, and, now what, right? I I don't need to be hiring, so I'm not interviewing. Um, I think that's a mistake. I think we need to be interviewing all the time. Uh, you know what I like about living in the United States, Bill? You can actually disagree and still be friends.
2: Um,
3: <laughs> I uh, I think I think you have some great ideas there. I think I still would do the first interview because I still feel like um, I think the cultural interview and how the culture of the company fits. Now I think I can teach my employees to do that. In fact with Lex, our our newest hire, uh I didn't interview Lex until after everybody else had. So uh you know Kent is now doing the first interview and the team is doing the second and I'm doing the third. Uh so it works. Uh, yeah. So it's different, right? It's not, it's not necessarily what, what I would you know, tell you, but I think Kent understands the vision of the company and is able to express that very well.
0: Well, if you do, if you do it right, your entire staff should know your culture. They should know your values, and they should know what you're going for.
3: How, so, so and that's, and that,
0: and then, and then, having them do the interviews would give them ownership of that. Yeah, mm.
3: and and maybe that's part of the, uh, you know, part of the comment is, you know, what is doing it right. Um, you know, I have a checklist. That goes for six months for a service advisor training uh mentoring mm-hmm. program. Uh, I have a checklist that's probably four pages long for a technician that's going to come to work uh, for my business. In the uh, uh, consulting business, you know, we didn't have a checklist <laughs> for a marketing person because, I mean, we, we started with a description of what we thought we wanted. But as we're bringing that person on first time, uh, they're helping develop what the list is the job list is alan how, how do you um uh, onboard i mean i think bill's really correct saying that onboarding starts mm-hmm. probably in the first contact but uh, how do you onboard that that person into your company
2: honestly i think onboarding starts in the ad you put out um because you're going to it's, it's going to attract the right person um and i you know, I've written quite a few ads now and um, I've had success with my most recent ones and use them a couple of times. But I start pitching the culture in the ad and then, of course, in the phone interview. Um, so I'm kind of in agreement with you, Cecil, in the fact that I like to be the first person in contact with the candidate because I want to be the one to, to promote the company, and the culture and all that. But that's my job as a manager. One day when there's a manager working under me, I would expect them to do that. Um I, my onboarding process changed drastically after I had a major fail. Um, and it went from essentially having an on, not having an onboarding process to having one. And, um, 2017, I hired a service advisor just about sunk me. And, um, and it's because I didn't really give her the tools that she needed to succeed. And I didn't, I had training, but not like, not extensive and not with checks and balances and, and not followed up on as consistently as it should have been. So like all systems and processes, they usually get stemmed from mistakes <laughs> and we need to fix something. So now I wrote a process for this and, and we've gone through it again now with my, my new service advisor has been here six months We just did a six months review yesterday and things are going very well for him and he's able to run the shop and I can be away and go to, ratchet and wrench conferences and whatever else may be and the place still runs and, um, has good productivity. But if I hadn't onboarded, had a process for onboarding my service advisor, he would have failed long ago. Um, I knew I I was able to learn from my mistakes before and, and able to, to correct them moving forward. And, and just by having a process in place and knowing what I need and them knowing what I need and what's expected of them, um, really made it easier for him to do his job properly. And he didn't touch the phone
3: for two weeks, at least. I mean, wow. yeah. So so Jack Nicholas says, a uh, famous quote of his is, the more I practice, the luckier I get. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you have John, who came to work for you as a service advisor. He came out of another industry, not even knowing automotive. And um, uh, I would say you got lucky. <laughs> Uh, on one aspect, because he's a great potential employee, but did you really get lucky? Was it because of the way you interviewed? Was it because of the onboarding process that you were able to make him successful? I find it interesting that you would say that he wouldn't have made it if I didn't onboard him um, to this point, because he's done really well. So you could say it's luck. Um, I think if, if it's luck, the only
2: luck involved is the fact that I had an ad that appealed to the right person at the right time because they were looking for a job at that time. He had left a position in another company and went to a new company, wasn't happy with that right away, so kept looking, and then there's my ad. He never considered the automotive industry, but I didn't put the ad out there as a service advisor. I put it out there as customer service and management, And, and he appealed to that job, and he was reading the job ad and that like stuck out to him amongst many others from many more bigger companies. And, um, and then when we had a phone interview, it went so well. And then when he came in, it went so well, both ways. Like I was impressed with him and his, um, in his, his personality and the way he was going to handle things and his energy, but he was buying into the culture he liked what he saw. Um, He liked the vision that I presented him for, Future growth and for um, the fact that he's, his, his career isn't going to end at the service advisor desk. It's going to move on to something else and he's going to train people coming on under him because I want to be able to promote and, and build the company up from within, you know. So he liked that.
0: There's a ton of different advisor training options in the industry, making the choice that much harder to make. Some shove too much into too little of a time frame; they can be inconvenient and costly, or they're just filled with unhelpful, non-applicable information. So how are you supposed to create confident and capable service advisors? The Advisor Mastery Program from the Institute is the industry's leading service advisor training, now almost entirely online. With one-on-one coaching, KPI tracking, live community trainings, a resource library, and more, there's no wonder why advisors who finished the program have seen their efforts rewarded with more confidence, higher arrows, and better sales. If you're ready to stop settling for mediocre and start ruling the counter, join the advisor mastery program today. Head to ifrave.com and register now. We'll see you in
3: class. I, I, I would say that you, you didn't get lucky. And and I would say that you actually, you know, you created your own luck. Yes, exactly. Um, that's That's how I would... I would, I would place it. Bill, do you believe um, that you get lucky with employees or do you believe that it's something else?
1: One of my favorite sayings is, is luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And uh, I don't know where I heard that. Maybe I said it. I don't know. (laughs)
3: Somebody (laughs) said it and I I heard it. it.
1: I heard it today. (laughs) I've, I've heard it. I've heard it. I've heard me say it a lot. Um, I think that we have to, we have to see to our own success and by seeing to our employees success, we, we do a better job of seeing to our own success. I, I, I'm often challenged by, uh, I don't know what, um, Simon Sinek book or, or, uh, presentation it was, but he talks about. Companies that never fire their employees—that once you get a job there, it's it, you're there for life. I don't, I can't, I can't go there myself. However, I am inspired by the the idea that we could be so good at finding the right person and then making that person continually the right person. You know, it's a uh, life is life is like a river. The river never stops. We may eddy out we may we may stack up on a rock we may have something that happens to us and turns us over but we but we have to keep moving we we ultimately have to get back in the current and and i think that it's so easy with with employee onboarding to just bring them on and let them float right down the river with you you know and and you've got to you've got to see to their safety you've got to see to their their employment safety you're making an investment in this person i think that it's critically important to see to it that they are continually trained the way you want. And, and, uh, you asked earlier about, about, uh, requirements for training and, and there definitely needs to be ongoing requirements for training. Uh,
3: interesting comment. I'm looking at the, uh, kind of the notes that I get notes from, uh, Kent and Lex about what we should kind of be talking about kind of keeps me on track. So I don't go too far South. Um, does onboarding end is one of the questions. When when do you end the onboarding uh, for the employee? Um, and and Bill is telling me probably never. Uh, in a sense, they're always learning new things or there's new places for them to go and be. Um, in our company, we had a sign-off sheet when the mentor signed you off. Uh, we did something interesting, at least I, th- I think, um, what we did is we withheld $2 an hour of your pay. We actually paid that to the mentor uh, for what you produced during the time that you were uh, being mentored. Uh, and then when you signed off on your sign-off sheet, you got your $2 an hour back and the mentor was no longer paid. So in a sense, we had an end and the end was different for different employees, uh, uh some master technicians, I think the fastest anyone got through our onboarding process and got everything <clears throat> signed off was about 30 days. And I think some of the master technicians actually took 90 days. Uh, uh, and then we had a, a program for new trainees that could be a two or three year long uh, program. So, um, uh, uh, Alan, do you end onboarding with your employees at a certain point? So the first 90 days, anyone comes
2: in, no matter what the position, you're on like a probationary onboarding process. Um, and that is always at a lower rate of pay. Um, I don't put you on the pay plan. You know, you're usually paid by the hour um, or a salary until that point, but you know what the pay plan is going to be. Uh, and then we have uh, once a month I meet with you. So I, I'm going to meet with you after the first week and then I'm going to meet with you, um, Kind of consistently as needed, but at least a formal meeting once a month for those first 90 days to review, you know, what's going on. What can we do to help you? Um, Do you have any input, feedback? Oftentimes people come in, they have ideas that help us improve, you know. And um, so then there's that. 90 days, now you get your benefits and all that stuff and and you go on your pay plan. Um, At six months, we do another review um, just to kind of check back in. Is all of this working for you? Is it working for us? Do we need to change anything? Um, have you done what's been required of you up until this point? You know, And um, and then at one year, is kind of like my final thing. Um, we have a one-year review. I do an annual review with everyone every year, but the first year annual review is kind of a big deal because there's usually lots of things that you needed to do, certifications you needed to get. If you're a tech and you come on, you don't have your ASC certifications, you have to have them by all eight, at least by the end of the first year. Um, And your pay reflects on it. So most guys usually go get them early. Um, Although I do have a guy who's not doing it and you know, in January, it's going to be, it's going to be, thank you, but no, thank you. You're not doing what we need you to do unless you can take care of this right now,
3: you know? Um, So really, I guess it's a one-year boarding process for me. One of the, one of the other people that we consult with, I won't say who it was just recently terminated a pretty good service advisor because they wouldn't, Take training. They wouldn't train. Yeah, that's terrible. And move ahead, and and actually pulled the plug on them. Um, felt bad about it, but also felt like if they didn't train, they weren't going to be useful in the in the future for them. Yeah. Um, and if you let somebody like that
0: stay in, what does that say to your other employees too? Exactly. Exactly.
3: I think is yeah, a it's smart move. I think as a leader in your company, you're always trying to set the example. Um, you know, I know Bill. There, you have a is it a book a month club or, or, or is it a book a year or, you know um, what do you guys, uh, I know you're in another book now with the company. So how often do you guys do that?
1: We, we do a book a year. We do one book a year. Um, And uh, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. It's really fantastic. Now, some of my staff does more than one book a year and I certainly uh, provide and pay for that. Um, Gary just covered uh, the E-Myth Revisited. Mm. Uh, and and after finishing it uh, on audio we decided that he needed the hardback copy of it so he could go back through the audio and and make notes he said well i want to make notes i said well where are you going to make notes and keep those notes because he said i don't need the book i said the book is the best place you're gonna you're gonna write in the in the columns and the spaces and and you're gonna dog ear the pages and you're gonna create an index within the index and be able to quick reference, all these things, you know, he's part of my succession plan. He's going to be the owner one day and he needs to understand systemizing a company and he needs to understand that the things that come with it. So he's, he's into probably a one-year process just with that one book on his own. Yeah.
3: I always buy two, I was buy two books, um, one to write in and one to put on the shelf to look pretty. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, I do. I buy at least two of every book that I get. Um, and I don't do, I am I'm, I'm a visual guy. So having the book in my hand means a lot to me as opposed to listening. It's harder for me to listen mm. to somebody read it. I fall asleep, uh, uh at that. I can't keep my attention.
0: Oh, my
3: um, favorite. um <laughs> is there any kind of a program or software that would, um, help you with onboarding? Um, is there anything you use that would help someone else out there? Uh, anybody can answer that.
1: Well, I do. I I use, I use the Clifton strengths finder program the the challenge that you you're going to have using that without any experience is, is just that you're going to, if you don't understand what the strengths are um, and you haven't gone through the process of, of, of it yourself, then, then you need to, and, and you can, and it's super easy Uh, you, you read the book, you take the test and then you make everybody, you know, take the test, your wife, your kids, your employees, and you start to, you start to fill in the blanks of your knowledge with these pieces and parts. That's how I did it. You could also become a StrengthsFinder coach and go through their whole program. Um, there are other tests out there. You can certainly use DISC. If you understand DISC, you can, um, there's, there's, and then there's the personality, um, styles and and tests you can use but yes i would say and again if you don't have any experience with those things how do you get experience by doing it yeah. so I, just as, as long as you have something. just do
0: it as long as you have some kind of system in place to to identify and go oh this is what this is so that when you do bring someone on you can identify and understand yeah. them that's all it really is
2: yeah, we use disk in my shop and um, or I did that with the last two hires I did and uh, it's worked out pretty well actually because you get the understanding of people before you put you kind of have an understanding, is this person gonna fit where I need them to fit? You know or are they gonna help fix where I, where I need them to, to work well and fix you know?
3: For me For me, the disk is about understanding who they are and, and therefore uh, how do I need to adjust to best communicate with them? Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the StrengthFinder profile because I think the StrengthFinder profile tells you somewhat their motivations and what makes them happy, and I think that's um, I think that's something that I really want to know uh, because I want employees that are happy. The happier they are, the more they'll learn, the more they'll study, the more they'll want to be in the position and and grow in the position. So I think that's a, an important uh, piece. Uh, obviously, you know, here's where I would recommend a consulting company, uh, that would have, uh, the processes already somewhat defined, uh, or the pieces that they can help you with. And, uh, you know, if it's not the Institute, there are some great, uh, uh consulting companies out there, um, that are, uh, more process oriented, uh, that can help you with that stuff. So that's how you get experience is you, you go to classes and you learn how to how to do some of this stuff. As I said, we have processes and documents and sheets, things I used in my businesses for years as we, as we move forward. You know what I did? I'm just going to step in one sec
2: is uh, you kind of inspired me on one thing recently. A few, I don't know, it must've been a month or two ago on you have a process to create a process. So yeah, That's pretty cool. So I went home and I created a process for creating a process. And now everybody has one. a half a copy of that. And it's their job to create the process for whatever the hell they're doing. <laughs> and now we're generating it. We created a Dropbox folder um, that is shared within the company. And we just, everybody has access to them now. They just do it. You get a free minute, figure out what's the next most important one, write it down. And here we go.
3: And I think that, to me, is the first process you need. Is the yeah. how are we going to write processes in our company? <laughs> yeah, right? all, I never thought all about those, that. It all looks the same, and <laughs> and and you know, it 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 is fun. Uh, I love it when somebody actually takes something I said seriously and and goes home and, and gets inspired to do something new. It's great. Uh, how do you evaluate whether or not um, you're on board? <clears throat> uh, is is doing the job you want. It's successful. Uh, Bill, do you have a, do you evaluate that? Do you look at it regularly? What do you do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that goes back to the whole concept of, of being consistent. And if you're, if there's a failure in the process somewhere, certainly fix it. You know, if there's, if there's a hole in the boat, put a cork in it. Um, I would say that, more often than not, rather than changing it, keep it the same, and and learn from it. Um, I guess that goes back more to the interviewing process. The onboarding process does need to be uh, does need to be modified, and, and I would say that rigid rigid adherence to any rule is foolish. Uh, Paul Petzl said, "Rules are everything. Rules are for fools." Um, and, and what he meant by that is, is and Paul Petzl is the the big mountaineer guy that uh, started building carabiners along with Yvonne Chouinard. And, and if if I say you're not touching a tool for a week, or you're you know you're not gonna be an employee for ninety days, or you know you you have to do all these things, there there needs to be some latitude within that too. You that to to stick to a rule one hundred percent just because you think you've come up with the best rule in the world is, is, is really arrogant and
0: foolish. It's, it's, it's naive. Yes. to think that you can take that and go, Oh, it's done. It's never done.
2: Like you were saying, it's a, it's a river. You got to keep going on it. It's an ongoing process. This whole, everything in business is really, I mean, it's in, in life, it's totally an (laughs) ongoing process and things you got to adapt to change and you have to adapt to whatever is, um, uh whatever is going on. Oh, it looks like I'm the host now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well at least we're still live.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean that's I cool, so. right? <laughs> but yeah, no. Um I, it's totally foolish to like you write the process, you write the rules, but you know, on the job things change and you just have to you have to there go we with are. it. Um, and you should oh, have you should sh- have don't don't sh- tell him I said that.
0: <laughs> you should have the pieces in place to adjust for that change. I mean, exactly. when you when you talk about the onboarding process and when it should end, I mean, for onboarding, getting them invested and getting them into the day-to-day operations and into the company, that there should be a point where you say, okay, they're done being the, the rookie, right? Mm-hmm. But your company itself should have this constant want to educate and learn yes. and get better at techniques and adjust and have the pieces in place to allow that to happen.
2: Yes. And you know, when, when I hire, like I always, the goal is to hire someone and bring someone in that can, you know, inevitably do the job better than I could. That would be ideal. Wouldn't it? Um, I think I do my job very well, but I want someone to come in and do those tasks even better. So if they come in and they come in with ideas and they, you get them into your processes, these people start to do these things and they start to see places for improvement or they have ideas for to, to improve. That to me says, yay! I got the right person. This person wants to improve this place with me and make it better and make it everyone's life here better. So, we'll uh, if they have a if they find something that they think they can, they have an idea to improve upon it. I want to make sure that they feel free to bring it to me. It's not this is the rule, this is the way it's done, and that's the way. That's it. But you got? I, I'm it, open to that. They, I, in, I give them that opportunity, that freedom to come to me and. Make those. Yeah, there,
0: there's there's a, a double edge there because in one sense, you know, you need to have uh an ego-free zone, mm-hmm. you know. It, nothing is said and done like Bill, you were saying. Things have to be at least somewhat malleable, but at the same time, they can't be too malleable. You can't allow everyone to come in and do whatever they want. No. And so you've got to balance the two of those.
3: I think it's which, I, I think I had this thought while Bill was talking. I could hear you, Bill, even though you guys couldn't hear me. Um the, you know, what would be perfect? What I'd really like to do is write the perfect ad that attracts the perfect employee, have the perfect onboarding system so that the employee comes in and have growth in my company and training and all of that. So the employee is engaged and stays with me for the next 50 years, you know, that, that would be perfect, but then life isn't perfect. It's never perfect. Um, I'm always making adjustments uh, in my company. And I think that's part of what makes the company interesting to me, and, and hopefully interesting to some other people, um, you know, if you don't have an onboarding process, start thinking about onboarding and start thinking about where it begins. And it, I think Alan's right; it begins in the ad, and then, it and then it, it carries through the interview. and And are we teaching them the culture uh, that we have uh, in our business, uh, so that we know that they're going to fit within our culture?
1: Stop
0: wasting your time trying to find a magic bullet. There isn't one. However, Our Keys to Automotive Business Success teaches the foundations of a successful automotive shop and gets you started on the right path, which is pretty close. You'll learn how to set actionable and achievable goals, understand your financial model, and how to communicate more effectively with your team. This course was designed to jumpstart your results, not waste your time. Take the class today and you'll learn how to start creating the business and life you want. Visit ifrave.com to register for the class at only $49 and available to take wherever and whenever you'd like, it's what every shop owner needs to kickstart their business into success.
3: And then for me, the, uh, so, so let me ask this question. Um, am I hiring someone for talent and skill or am I hiring someone for personality and fit? Um, uh, which, which go ahead, Alan. Attitude trumps
2: aptitude every time. Yeah, if they have the right attitude and the right, um, I mean, yeah, if they have the right attitude and personality, you can train the
3: rest. Usually, usually, not always, but usually. Yeah. Bill,
1: you know, it, it. I I agree with Alan. At the same time, so very often, especially with a technician, you've got to decide: are are you are you hiring an apprentice or are you hiring a master tech? Mm.
3: Right. So but I need it. But if I get a master tech, don't I need one that fits in my culture? I mean, I've, I've gone into shops where there's always that one miserable guy. It's been with the company 20 years. He does a lot of great work, but he's just a SOB and nobody can get along with him. So they kind of put him in the corner and, and feed him work and, and try not get their fingers bitten off. Um, yeah. You know, that to me is, it's disruptive. It's bad. It's, it's yeah. not good for the company uh, or for the other employees. I've yeah, got two of those be, right now.
1: That can be toxic. Oh, bummer.
3: Well, one just left. He's his last day's Friday.
2: And uh but he, because of the culture, he understood that that wasn't a fit and he was feeling that he wasn't a fit and he decided to move on because he wasn't happy either, you know. And woo-hoo, no unemployment. Uh, <laughs> but uh,
1: hopefully they're not watching this. <laughs> <laughs> if they quit your company, likely is they're not <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And then, but I have another
2: guy who's posing an issue in there and I've had, you know, my foreman and my advisor have come to me and said, Hey, we're just getting a lot of pushback from this guy. He's a great technician, master tech. Um, but he's just really difficult to work with. And he's exactly like you, like you said, he's that guy off in the corner. Just, just feed him work because when he's at the window, he's a pain, but
3: just feed him work and he'll leave everyone alone. So yeah, not, I'm gonna he's not drinking a Kool-Aid. Yeah. We're, we're getting towards the end. Um, are there things that are really important in in keeping a good employee in your company? Um, you know, or what what would that be? What would be your one, two, and three for um, keeping a good employee within your company? Because the industry's struggling with the ability to find technicians. So how do I how do I keep this tech and and or these techs? I see Bill is um, thinking hard about it. Um, uh, Alan, I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna go to you first. I think that.
2: that I think that one of the number one things is having a vision, um, and having clarity, and having um, uh, yeah, have a vision for your company, have it written down, have a structured organization, because I think that people want to come in, and if they if they like your vision. They're going to come in and, and want to be a part of that because they want to be a part of something bigger. They want to help it grow. And they'll be invested in it just like you are. Maybe not just like you are, but they'll be invested in its well-being. Another thing is for me that's totally changed um, is goals, setting goals. And I now we have like we have weekly goals. We have daily goals, weekly goals, monthly goals, annual goals. And they're written down on a whiteboard and we track them every week. We don't, the daily ones the guys keep track of on their own, but the, um, the weekly ones are are tracked up on the whiteboard every week where everyone can see it. And I think that they like that because they know what the definition of winning and losing is. And they know when they win, they make more money. Everybody's happier. We've provided good service to our clients. Number three, I think is the uh, opportunity for advancement. Um, I think that everybody wants to see opportunity for advancement. Most people anyways, um, some people don't, and that's fine. You get a guy who wants to be a, a tech all his life. That's fine. Um, but most people that are going to come onto my company, buy into my vision, they want to see growth opportunity.
3: I think growth is probably a, a better word there because, you know, you could be a technician for 30 years and still experience growth. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I, I think people want to know that they're going to grow. And that there is there is additional opportunity for them to be a better person, to be more successful, to make more money, whatever that is. I think that's um, empowering when they can be a part of that success. Right. Uh, Kent, what, what, what's your one, two, and three? Um, my one, two, and three
0: first would be personal and professional growth and along with opportunity. You know, They need to have the ability to grow as an individual uh, in their personal lives and in their profession. The, that includes education. That includes um, allowing them to push their own boundaries of comfort and um, providing that space. I mean, they spend most of their time in your company out of your life, out of their lives. That's, that's where they spend the majority of their time. Second, I would say that they've got to be, they have to have the ability to invest in something bigger than themselves, maybe even bigger than the company, but some kind of, of overall vision of doing something good for the, the world, other people, anything that's bigger than them. And then third would be clarity on those things. What does my, my growth opportunity look like within the company? What does my training opportunity look like within the company? What, does, what What's a win? Yeah. What, clarify, what is a win? What is a loss? Uh, those types of things, but that's, that's what I'd say my one, two, and three are. Okay. Bill,
1: man, those guys are brilliant. love (laughs) everything you guys said. I really, I I love what Alan said about vision and I love what, what, uh, Kent shared about, uh, that self, uh, I'm going to call it, uh, actualization.
0: There you go. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: That's, That's just tremendous stuff. Uh, so one, two, three for me, hire, right, share the culture, be sure they like your Kool-Aid, uh, (laughs) uh, ongoing growth and training. What I mean by ongoing growth and training, number one, have meetings. Um, it's not just going to classes, have meetings. Um, number two, have those built in, those, those built in achievements and and goals that they, that they can, uh, they can reach, um, and, and constantly review those things. Uh, and and yes, certainly sign them up for classes. I, I'm a big fan of the of the year-long classes. I think that there's a lot more to be said for a, a program that goes that that even measures your progress over a year um, than just to go to a say a service advisor class or a technicians class. If if, if there's a class out there that goes for a year, sign up for that. Um, and then, finally, the last one was growth and achievement, um, stealing from Alan because he went first, and uh, you, you got you to have that for folks. And, and I throw in a last little piece is um, don't fix everything, something we were talking about here recently. Um, people, people are best somewhere between mortal fear and boredom. I've said this time and time again. Um, they're, they're right in the middle. And if you if you constantly push them towards a, this comfortable place between boredom and, and optimized uh, performance is comfort. And if you constantly try and make your people comfortable by fixing everything, you're blowing it. You yep. need them to play in this direction towards that fear. You need them to play in the complexity zone. You need for them to have to work things out. For when,
3: when they become complacent, um, I think it's bad for, for them and I think it's bad for our companies. And I think that's why uh, everything being perfect is probably not best. Um, comfort equals complacency. Uh, in our company, we want our employees pushing boundaries. Uh, we want, uh, I wanna feel uncomfortable because you wanna try something new. Uh, I think it's important that we, that we continue to do that within our company. All right. Yeah. We're, we're, yeah. we're coming. Go ahead, Ken.
0: Oh, I was going to say, just speaking of books, I, I recently started reading 12, 12 rules for life. Um, I think his name's George Peterson. Anyways, he says something about um, keeping one, one foot firmly planted in stability and security and understood. And the other foot in the unknown and the creative and the complex.
3: And um, so I think people are
0: the majority of your time.
3: I think people are most fulfilled when they have the ability to stretch themselves and, and even the necessity to stretch themselves. Um, all right. We're, we're at the end. We got three minutes left.
1: Quick uh, mention each
3: of you. Of,
2: what was that? Wants
0: to say something?
2: Quick mention of a book since we're talking about onboarding. I think this one was key for me in onboarding. Um, Gino Wickman, uh, Rocket Fuel. Yeah. If, when you're thinking that's about onboarding, that's a great book to read. That's a good book.
3: All right. So um, uh, last words, uh, for the people listening, uh, we'll start with Kent. Then we'll go to Bill, and then we'll go to Alan. Kent, uh,
0: make sure you know you were where you're going to take these people. Make sure you know the plan from beginning to end to where they're actually invested into your company. Okay. From the and moment you post an ad,
3: that make sure you've got the, it outlined. That liking the Kool Aid thing, also I think Bill is is like um, you're gonna because you're gonna drink it if you're here. We got Kool Aid, <laughs> and you're gonna drink it.
1: Um, Uh, Bill, do something, do anything, do it the same way every time. Measure it. And uh, Alan, Um,
2: I would say, you know, marketing is like advertising, Advertise. onboarding and hiring is like marketing and you got to write down your avatar, define who you want, and then you'll know what they are looking for. And then you can write your ad to appeal to that right person and
3: then have a system in place to get them on board and trained. Well, I don't think we do enough, um, in, in thinking about our advertising for that position. No, uh, I, do. I don't,
2: I think lots of people don't.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of our industry doesn't do onboarding period, you're just here you are. And I think that leads to employees that struggle, uh, are not productive and therefore not successful and uh, they're frustrated. And then Bill said something uh, earlier about communication. You know, those weekly meetings are a necessity. I mean, they're, they're everything. Uh, and there are so many business owners that aren't having them because we don't have the time for them. Um, and, and yet they can they can save your life and change your world. Um, all right. Uh, uh, thank you, Alan. Uh, thank you, Bill. Thank you, Kent. Uh, I think this was one for the records. It was a good one. Um, Love for, it. Uh, you can check out other episodes by going to Institutes Leading Edge podbean.com or you can find us on itunes and spotify by searching for the leading edge look for the gear with the microphone and uh with the mic and headphones uh you can submit your questions or topics directly through facebook or by emailing institute at i four a Abe, b abecom uh, you can join the institute group or you can uh, like us on facebook and follow us and uh uh, next episode, we'll be talking about uh, future complications, uh, things that are coming up in the automotive industry that are going to be challenges for the industry, or at least we believe so, and uh, maybe a little bit about how we uh, go about overcoming them. Uh, again, thank you, everybody, and thank uh, thank everyone for uh, listening and for being online. Have a great week.
1: Thank you. Thank bye you bye. Thanks. Bye.
3: That's it for this one.
0: This episode was brought to you by gearedforshops.com and The Institute. To find more episodes or for more information about the services we provide, visit iforave.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you in the next one.